Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality, a podcast created to help you learn from professionals in the workplace who have multiple intersectional identities, from ethnic minorities, veterans transitioning into the workforce, individuals with disabilities, parents, and so many more. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrants Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. This podcast was built to amplify the voices of leaders and immigrants in the corporate workplace and to give insights and guidance so people can move past their barriers and advance in their professional careers. Through interviews and solo episodes, I'm going to examine this global world of work. I know that you can learn a thing or two from my guests who have a range of experiences and stories to share. Join me as we meet new people who are successfully navigating the corporate space. Welcome to my podcast. In my episode today, I am excited to be having a conversation with Melissa Toledo. Melissa is a proud Mexican-American who is navigating the corporate world while also learning to balance work and life in order to enjoy more time with her family, especially her two-year-old son. As a first-gen college graduate and a corporate leader, Melissa continues to grow her career within the tech world while also ensuring a passion for Latin America is involved. Melissa also has her own podcast, Mama Melly the Manager. She started this in the year 2022 as a goal to go outside of our own comfort zone. Melissa is an expert on building sales teams, managing sales teams, especially within LATAM, being a first-gen Mexican-American and a first college graduate. She's the first and the only in the corporate world, and I'm interested in our insights today uh, from multiple perspectives and intersections. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Immigrant in Corporate podcast, and thank you for joining us on this episode. I am looking forward to my conversation with my guest today, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. Tired, but I'm good. How are you? Tired, but good. Okay. <laughs> we'll make this fun so you yeah. get the tiredness. Um, but thank you for joining me today. I am in San Diego, California, and I think you just said you're in Atlanta. So, what does the weather look like in Atlanta right now? Yeah, it the weather is it's chilly. Let me check actually. So 66 this morning it was 54. It's going to get up to 70, so it's nice. I can't complain. It's a nice day. Yeah. Yeah, the nice fall day. weather is is arriving. Yeah. It's it's gets a little chilly here too um overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it warms up as we get closer to noon. But yeah, yeah. thanks for joining me and having a conversation. And we talked about this a little bit is how I found you on LinkedIn <laughs> because you posted um, uh, about an experience, about your background. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Can you share with us? Um, let us meet you. What's your immigrant mm-hmm. story? Yeah. So the, the post you're mentioning, I posted it for Hispanic, either Hispanic or Latinx Heritage Month. I know there's people who argue both terms. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it was about my father. So my father is an immigrant from Oaxaca, Mexico. The town is specifically called Tezuatlan de Segura y Luna. So he he actually came to the States twice when he was younger. His 15 was his first time. And then he went back and then he came back a second time and ended up staying. And that's what led to getting his residency. So he did come, I guess, undocumented. And, you know, his story, how hard he's worked, he continues to work, really motivates me. And, and that's really what's behind my post. And so I'm glad that it, it got your attention. But it was done more to shed light on, I think, the importance of immigration and, and the importance of, for me at least, embracing who I am. Um, so I'm sure I could probably spend hours on your <laughs> podcast show, sharing the different perspectives that I have. Um, but I think to keep it high level, you know, he came and I've always wanted to write a book on him, but he doesn't want to draw attention to his story because he still has that fear that he had when he was younger and he first came here of retaliation, uh, discrimination and so on. I really hope that one day, though, he, he kind of gets over that so I can share his story. But he's told us stories about, you know, coming over and having to hide in an attic with 20 other people and not having food or water for four or five days and and avoiding, you know, um, La Migra, that they called it. And then, you know, making his way to Chicago, where there was the rest of his family or extended cousins and, and aunts and uncles Um he met my mom at a Baker's Square. So people who are from the Midwest or live in Illinois might have heard of Baker's Square. They're like a restaurant chain that's really well known for like their pies, really good pies. My mom was a night manager and he was a busboy and he asked her for a ride home one day and that kicked off the relationship there. I don't know how long they've been married now. That's really bad of me, but um, they got married shortly after. And then, you know, I came along and as I put in the post, he didn't get his citizenship until 1996, I believe, or 98. So when I was about seven years old. And so looking back at it, I mean, I didn't recognize the moment that my dad went from being illegal to legal, like he was just my dad. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a big thing for him. I briefly remember him coming home, like with the little mini flag. And like, I guess at that age, I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the early on background of, of what it is. And then something that really is eye-opening and, and, of course, upsetting, too, is when I worked on getting my Mexican citizenship, you have to, like, collect all these documents of, like, prove how you're tied to being tied to Mexico or, and your parents' marriage certificate and all these things. And I we received his birth certificate. And in Mexico, my dad is Manuel Barbosa Toledo or Manuel Toledo Barbosa because he put one of the grand one of the parents name at the end but when he received a citizenship in the U.S. they made him get rid of to say like one of his last names so in the U.S. he's known as Manuel Barbosa Toledo and so that little change alone like caused a lot of trouble in trying to get my documents to prove that my dad who was born in Mexico is the same person who became a citizen in the U.S. Um, and it made me think like how unfortunate that people had to change their names or lost names and, and don't get to pass along that and how complicated 
the system is in order for them to truly be who they are. And so I just, a lot of different things in my life kind of just have made me feel sorry, but also then just be more proud of like who I am and, and being the daughter of an immigrant. Yeah. And I think that's the key. Um, I always give a talk around identity. That that's the first thing you mm -hmm. have to figure it out and you have to hone it. Um, that's mm -hmm. really the key. Or you're going to spend yeah. your life trying to figure out who am I? Where do I fit? You travel to a different part of the U.S. and you try being a different person. And until you come to the point where you go back, go back to your beginning and stand firm in who you are. And then, mm -hmm. you know, you start to find all of these opportunities to be strong in it and, and, the, and the lessons. So thank you for sharing that. I will say, though, um, both of my parents passed unexpectedly in 2015. Mm. And even if your dad says, don't write the story now, just write them down for yeah. yourself and your children. Yeah. And one of the things that my dad used to be a big storyteller. Now I'm like, I, I wish I had written some of the stories he told me. Mm -hmm. I have some of them in my memory, but just keep gathering those stories and writing them down. Even if he doesn't want it to be published, you can still read it to your children. Um, so definitely keep track of it. <laughs> that's a great idea. No, that's it. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it. And I think, yeah, I think it's something too that he should be a little bit more proud of and hopefully he'll get there, but writing it down for, for his grandkids and stuff. Yeah. That's such a great idea. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad, um, he asked you to tell his story. So, um, do you want to give us a little more background on your career and, you know, your corporate journey so far? Yeah. So one thing, one thing I didn't share, but it, it's obviously top of mind for me is that my Spanish is not perfect. Like people do say it's, it's good Spanish, but I was raised speaking English. And so that's primarily from, and I remember this moment so vividly, but we, we used to drive, my parents used to drive us from Wisconsin, United States to Oaxaca, Mexico. So it was like a two to three day drive in a van. And like, I used to be just so good in cars. Um, there's one time that it was just me and my parents driving down. And part of the reason why we drove was that we would take used clothing, like toothpaste that the dentist donated because Oaxaca is this it used to be the second I don't hope it's still only the second not the first but most impoverished state in Mexico so I think even though like Oaxaca Oaxaca the capital is really popular like tourists are starting to really go there people are getting married there this the towns outside of it are still dominantly indigenous and so surrounding where my dad's from there's still towns that only speak dialect so Mixteco is the dialect where my grandmother or the I guess, tribe or, or community I my grandmother came from. So we would drive so that we could take clothing to them. And I think for me, that's something that has made me who I am today as well. Like I remember taking shoes or there, there's these two brothers who have cerebral palsy and we got people to donate like walkers for us and we take it to them and like they're joint. We have pictures and everything, but anyway, so that, that experience also, I am grateful for, where my dad comes from because I think and I believe it makes me a better human and my husband and I my husband's from Irondale Alabama so like super American but um we're taking our son in January and even though he's only going to be two and a half I I like want him to experience not maybe not having hot water to shower from or like 
maybe not having a lot of toys and we're just going to walk around and figure it out and eating just like tortillas with eggs for breakfast. And so I, I share that because again, those memories and looking at it from a different point of view just helps me embrace who I am and, and be proud, even though some people might not, you know, consider it that way or look at it that way. Um, but so driving down one time, I, I got really upset. I, used, I, used, I still have a little bit of a temper <laughs> tantrum um, sometimes, but I was very frustrated with my dad. Like, why did you never teach me Spanish? Like, I could have excelled in school. I could have gone so much further. Like, you never taught me Spanish. Like, why would you do that? And I was just nagging and nagging. And finally, he said, because I didn't want you to be treated differently. I didn't want people to treat you the way they treated me. I didn't want people to look at you the way they looked at me when I spoke Spanish. And he said it not in like a mean way, but in just such a, like a upfront kind of like, like look at it and understand it from my perspective, please way like the t the type of way, like a parent just is begging you to understand like them. I was like, Oh my gosh, I did never think of it that way. Like, I just thought like speaking Spanish is such a privilege, but really like him and others in his generation, other immigrants who went through their um, experience were taught to let go of their language, let go of their culture, like change their appearance so that they could try to fit in and go undetected to make a better life for like their family. And so for me, that was like an aha moment, but also a moment where I was like, Ooh, it makes me angry that my had my dad had to like go through these things. Um, so I think that was the the one of the moments I was like, okay, moving forward, like I am Mexican, like I am Mexican American, but like I am Mexican, like I have tan skin. I'm embracing that. Like I love to lay out in the sun, and I'm sure my therapist would say part of that is because like I like being darker because I feel like it makes me more Hispanic or more Latin. Um, and that's what got me into, so I went to university or Miami or Barry university, sorry, Miami, Florida, and found an internship at ProMexico. So ProMexico, um, was this trade and investment branch in, 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 um, Miami, mm -hmm. uh, the internship, sorry, was at the Mexican consulate. I'm, my memory is like going, I'm getting to that age <laughs> you got a two-year-old okay i know no sleep right? blame them for as long as possible <laughs> yeah. but i so I, I got i found an internship at the mexican consulate learned a lot there and then there was also pro mexico so right out of college i started working for pro mexico trade and investment arm for the mexican government here in the united states and that got me a taste of not corporate per se, but a little bit of like business life, but it with for the Mexican government, which is very different than American corporate life. But it got my foot in the door. And then I moved to Atlanta. And here there was no branch, so I couldn't keep working for them. And I don't really know how to like what I find a job. So I actually was a waitress for a while, which I actually love being a waitress. I just don't make as much doing that as I do in my current job. Um so found an admin position and started being an um, executive assistant to the VP of sales at a corporate company called Calidus Cloud, started as an admin and then realized I sales seemed like a fun thing and kind of laugh at it looking back now. Um, and that's where I moved into sales and then started my sales career. And so since then, I've been in sales roles 
And then now I'm in leadership and focus solely on Latin America. So yeah, a lot of change between of, my first sales job to now. Yep, lots of change. But yeah, uh, yeah and, and you know, you talked about the journey, the journey to getting where you are to. So when you think about just your path in corporate America, your path to leadership role, your path to your current um, uh, even function that mm-hmm. you ended up in, do you... How do you think your cultural background has helped you or has shaped you um, in, in your work right now? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, first of all, my dad, this was in that post, right, that he started his own landscaping company. He was a chef for a while, and I remember he would always be frustrated. And I think he ended up quitting one day after something happened at work, and he came home. And I was like, what are you doing home? Like, he's never home when we were younger. And he started a landscaping business, so like one push mower, like one, um, call it a weed eater, and his friend, and they just started out of like our garage. Um, and that grew quickly, and it grew enough where people actually in our neighborhood complained that like Mexicans were leaving their cars on the street and all of that. And so like, again, right, discrimination, but that pushed us to move out more into like, I guess the country or farmland in, in Wisconsin. Um, but that his entrepreneurship, which I never looked at it from that lens until recently when I started angel investing, I was like, crap, my dad's an entrepreneur. Like he started his own business and it put me through college with no debt. Like it's, you put, it's like helped my brothers and I. And so think that hard work, that dedication, that commitment, along with like the sacrifices that I've realized my father has given up to give me a better life, like 100% is the flame inside me that keeps me going. And I, you know, my therapist would say, and as well as my husband, my friends probably say, I put too much pressure on myself, or I unrealistically work too much, or, you know, different things like that. And as much as yes, it's, it's not healthy. And it is challenging now that I have a son to like balance it all. It's just something that's in my blood. And I 100% like chalk that up to my father um, in a good way. Like, I think that that's the type of motivation or just Mm -hmm. um, like role model that I want to follow and strive to be. And then so that drives me into work. And then specifically now that I I focus on sales within Latin America, um, it's definitely shaped because I, I speak Spanish and I have the ability and I see that it's such a market that no one's ever really focused on because it's always been like, Oh, Latin America, like they do things differently down there or, you know, people don't want to go into that market because they don't understand it. And so it definitely was a really a greenfield opportunity for me to get into while I was here at Twilio as an account executive. And I really enjoy it. And I think it being involved with the Latin American market also brings me that identity again of being Latina and being able to exercise my Spanish and being able to learn all the different cultures because that's also something that I didn't realize but like each country has their own culture but people just lump them together Mm -hmm. and so that's been a really fun experience for me and I think the more that I get to understand the different cultures like I can speak to my husband about them or speak to my son and then he will be able to be culture too in a different way so I think those are the what's really helped me like 
shape who I am at the workplace and like strive to be in the certain roles that I've had over the last few years. Right. That's, that's awesome. Something when you, when you made the comment about each country has its own culture, um, it makes me think of, uh, the process of writing my book as well, starting mm-hmm. with the word immigrant. But when mm-hmm. I first started my book last year, the draft topic, I, the draft name I used was a first generation immigrant. And I remember thinking I wanted to focus on people like me who moved to the U.S. at age 25, right? People that Mm -hmm. got uh, to spend their formative years in a different country and then moved. But then as I interviewed people, I had people that were born in the U.S. who strongly identified with the word immigrant Mm -hmm. because of their family, because of the way they were raised. And I had people that were not born in the U.S. who didn't want to identify as immigrant. And then there were people that were brought here as kids. So for me, it was like this whole spectrum. Uh-huh. Everybody's definition of immigrant is different. Mm-hmm. And it's up, you know, it's up to you to own it or however you define it and however you choose to own it. And it might sound exhausting when we are talking to people that are non-immigrant, like you want yeah. me to get to know and understand every country. No, just keep putting yourself out there and know that there's always more to learn. Yeah. There's always more to learn, you know. Um, there's a yeah. lot you don't know. There's a whole lot we all don't know. Um, I always joke that I've met more Africans in America than I met in when I was living in Nigeria. <laughs> like I'm Africans from different countries. Right? Yeah. When I was in Nigeria, it was a very homogeneous community that I grew mm-hmm. up in. And and just being in the US is like you meet people from all over. Um yeah. get to compare notes and be like, Oh, you do that too in you know, in East Africa, yeah, we do that too in West Africa. Yeah, it's it's so great to keep learning. And I think as much as it's exhausting, I mean, that's my current role right now is creating and growing the Latin American sales team for our newer, I guess, product slash organization called Segment. And so, you know, there's, it's like, you can't just loop us in with, we call it Namer, right? Like North America, as I mentioned earlier, like, North America is North America and then there's South America and like there's LATAM, which is separate. And so they're just concepts that I don't think people, hopefully, or or some people don't do on purpose. It's just no one's ever been there to like educate or point out that you can't sell the same in Mexico as you would sell in Colombia or you can't sell the same, you know, to Costa Ricans as you do as Argentinians and definitely not Brazilians. And it's when companies like mine and and there's many more now that are opening more roles for Latin America. Like when they do that, I get excited. So I'm like, okay, people are seeing the value and they're willing to learn, but something that's always important and it's, it's an uphill battle, but I'm, I'm willing to like fight it is bringing the attention to know that there's these differences and that it's not a bad thing. We just need to embrace it and we need to be open to accepting that there's these differences and companies who are accepting of it and willing to put the time and effort and resources into catering to the needs, like mm-hmm. obviously to a degree, right? You can't have a specific right. sales cycle for every country, but right. if they're willing to give leaders or people who, you know, can invest into Latin America, the different resources needed, like there's going to be great success there. And that great success isn't just selling, but if you can sell a product into Latin America and then they use that product to grow their customer base and maybe their business brings more financial support to people who need it. Like 
it's a ripple effect. And so it also, I think I try to look at it that way to ensure that I'm not just in my day-to-day job to sell to people in Latin America. Like I'm here to actually shift the way business is done, bring more investment and money into the ecosystem and so on. And like, that's what's super exciting. I think about being in sales within the Latin American market. Yeah. And I mean, I don't need to ask you this because I can already tell from, from you saying it uh, is one of the questions I always ask. And I, Uh I sort of started to ask it is how do you think, specifically being an immigrant or coming from an immigrant family is helping you in your current role. Yeah. And I think that's what you literally just described is because of your story, because of your um, background, because of the passion and the pride you have in that identity, you have this lens, you have Mm -hmm. this lens on the markets that you serve and you are doing, you're thinking about your work in a different way. Like I want to shift perspective. I want people to understand I want to do this differently, not just the way it's been done, where mm-hmm. just about everybody has won. And yeah. that's, that's awesome. Yeah, 100%. And I think you, know, you have to do it in the right way, but it also helps to have like allies and people who support you. And so um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, being, being an, coming from an immigrant family, I don't think I identify as immigrant per se, but I 100% will like, yeah, I have that T-shirt that I had in my picture. I'd say daughter of an immigrant. Like I, I don't hide it because I think I am. I not think I know I am who I am because my parents are who they are. Um, and I, and I'm grateful for that. So it's definitely yeah, it's definitely helped with my current career. That's awesome. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, so let's get down to maybe a couple of stories or examples. Uh, there's some areas where you sort of add challenges, um, Mm. integrating. Um, I have a book called thriving in intersectionality where I interview, um, different immigrant women in corporate Mm -hmm. America. And some of the themes that emerged ended up going into categories like leadership, communication, um, teamwork, Mm -hmm. representation, and and maybe recognizing toxicity in the workplace. Are there some of these areas that kind of jumps at you where you have stories of um, maybe a little more challenging uh, because of your background? I mean, I think there's probably like a lot of examples. I'd say one thing that really creeps up is imposter syndrome. And I, you know, I don't know if it's due to being a female, if it's due to how I was raised, or if it's due to just being like a Latina in tech, I think those are all like valid points that could have established it. But the imposter syndrome, I think, is is big. And I see it across the board with a lot of other women leaders and women in tech and then Latinas in tech. And I think something that's really helped me is just being a part of communities and hearing other people's stories and having people who will just like remind you like, hey, you're doing a good job. And I think that's something that we need to do more of there. They did a skit. Is it a skit in SNL? Someone, Oh no, it was Seinfeld, I think. But like when a woman, I think it was, um, Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm like crashing on all their names, but I watch Seinfeld like every night, but pretty much saying that like a girl made a comment about something that the guys were as well. But when she said it, it was looked at as like, Oh, you're being catty towards another woman. It's like, no, no, no. Like we can't have those different like discriminations in the workplace. And, I think they naturally happen, which is unfortunate, but more and more companies that have 
DEI programs or have women in different roles within a company, like don't have as many of those issues because they do support each other. Um, and so for me, that's been what's supportive and helpful with my imposter syndrome. I think another thing I personally, when I first took on a manager role, like I said, oh, I'm just going to be great friends with all of my team members and like that'll make it work. And then quickly realize that that is not the case. And I think one thing that makes women such powerful leaders is their ability to be really empathetic, their ability to be vulnerable, and their ability to create strong, trustworthy relationships. At times, that can also be to a fault. And so I quickly learned, like, as a leader, I can't just be best friends and I can't just be an open book on every single topic because there are certain things like that leadership can only know or that leadership has to manage in a certain way. Um, but you have to balance that. And so I struggled with it. And I think so a little probably like TMI on me, but something that I've learned from my therapist is that I have a very much inkling to be a people pleaser and want um approval from people. So like whether it's a friend or in the workplace, like I always need recognition and I always need someone to tell me I'm doing a good job, which is unhealthy. Like you definitely need it a little bit, but it's unhealthy. So that led to me focusing on building friendships in the workplace and not necessarily like strong workplace relationships. And so I'm working on that now. And I think that's something that we don't get support with as much. Twilio has been great in offering different leadership programs, programs for women. And so that's helped me. And I think if anyone's listening that is in other corporations that can start these programs, like there's this thing called Better Up. They offer coaching and you can find female coaches um, starting a mentorship program within women. But things like that like are, are really important as well to help identify some of those things and, and improve them, I think. Yeah. yeah, I have. A, I feel like I have a lot of examples, but those are probably the two that really stand out. <laughs> yeah, no, that those those are really good, and and I think that's the specifics. Uh, I want. I just want you to share or want people to mm -hmm. hear uh, is we all have the tendency to think or behave a certain way or lead a certain way because of our background, regardless mm -hmm. of what our background is, right? Um, but we need to make room for ourselves to grow. Mm -hmm. and to walk you know not everything that is naturally you is is for the best in your job right you have to learn yeah, yeah. to balance it and you need all the tools as as many tools as you can find you know you don't just mm -hmm. i mean you know how the corporate world is is you get appointed to a role and you're supposed to magically be perfect at it yeah yes right? <laughs> but you know think have a growth path and and be honest with yourself um, you know, thanks for just your vulnerability and sharing some of these two is getting the promotion is not, um, your certificate of excellence is it's just yeah. the beginning. So look for tools yeah. and resources, uh, such as I've heard of, uh, better, of, I think mm -hmm. that's the coaching uh, platform. I've heard of that, you know, get some of these tools, um, the nonprofit immigrants incorporates. One of the things that I'm going to incorporate mm -hmm. is coaching. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of immigrants, a lot of underrepresented employees are not leveraging coaching, especially mm -hmm. in the corporate workplace. So that's something that 
you know, if you're thinking of growth, if you want to grow, if you want to advance, you should be getting some coaching and, and some support to ask yourself deep questions, to understand yourselves and get the tools that you need specifically for yourself. So thanks for sharing that. And well, congratulations on your journey. It sounds Thank like you. you're making some progress, right? Yeah. Yeah. But to your point, I think asking for help is the first step. I don't know what to attribute it to, but I'm very outspoken, which has gotten me in trouble at some point, but it also has helped me achieve what I've achieved so far. And yes, I, someone made a comment once like, oh, I wish I could be like Melissa and just like speak my mind when something's wrong. And at first I was really offended and I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? And then I sat back and, you know, I've talked through it with one of my, my allies and like, that's a good thing. That means people look up to you and and they want to be able to speak freely without that fear of retaliation. So I realized that maybe it was growing up, you know, as like a full white American, not speaking another language. I just, I, I felt like I couldn't be retaliated for being a, a Latina or maybe it's because I'm jaded by certain experiences that I'm kind of like, screw it. Like, I'm just going to speak my mind and what happens happens. Um, but I am privileged being able to, to have that comfort in speaking up when I see something wrong. And I wish more people could feel comfortable speaking up, whether it's speaking up, asking for help, speaking up to say something's wrong, um, speaking up when they see something wrong for someone else. Because if we, if we could do that and step outside our comfort zone, I think it would tremendously help other people and support others. Yeah, that's awesome. Another thing that came to mind as you were sharing that is, I think that's commendable if you speak and people know that you would say uh, what's on your mind, you speak up about mm -hmm. what's on your mind because, um, you know, one of the issues we are dealing with in corporate America right now in the corporate workplace generally is um, uh, trust, leadership mm -hmm. trust, building trust in the workplace and creating a psychologically safe space. I mm -hmm. think if you're known to always speak your mind, I I'm not talking about speaking your mind and being rude. I'm yeah, talking yeah. about saying what's on your mind. Then people know they can trust you and, and it helps to build that uh, that uh, comfort level uh, with, with peers and subordinates and leadership as well. Is we, trust you, we feel like you'll be honest and authentic with us. And so we would, you know, we'll listen to you and we would also share with you yeah. when we have ideas. Mm -hmm. No, that's a very important call out. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for the work you're doing. Thank you for the work you're doing for yourself and, and in the corporate workplace as well in, in the, the Latin America sales industry. And, mm -hmm. and I think as, as we go global too, as companies go global, these are some of the things to pay attention to, some of the um, mm -hmm. areas to be, to be very sensitive. Before we go to the final question about food, <laughs> do you have anything else any word word of advice any other resources that you want to share for the audience of maybe international students who are not even in uh, corporate yet or mm -hmm. people in corporate america who are maybe feeling stuck right about now immigrants um you yeah. know black brown brown folks um or dei leaders right uh, Is there anything i have a lot of words for that no, i'm just kidding <laughs> um D and I, it's important. I 100% agree, but it has to be authentic. And I think for a time there, especially during COVID, there was such a focus on it that it became like, oh, corporate, corporate world is just competing on numbers. They're not competing on really what matters. And so 
looking at the statistics of like, oh, we have more women now, or we have more underrepresented, underrepresented individuals. It's like, no, 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 that's not the number. It's are we retaining these people? Are we actually putting them into roles of leadership? And, and if we're not, what's happening and actually listening to them. And so for me, like, I, I applaud the E&I organizations within companies, and I think they're necessary, but I think that they could turn toxic or could turn negative if not handled appropriately and not grown correctly. Um, I think the number one step is employee resource groups. So Latin ERGs, you know, Black ERG, that's like Black Twillions is what ours is called. And like, those I think are important as long as they're left as what they're meant to be, which is groups and safe spaces for individuals who identify as a certain background, ethnicity, and so on, because that allows community and a sense of belonging. And so for me, I started the chapter with an individual named Omar in Atlanta for Salesforce, came to Twilio, was a part of it right away, and then joined the board of the Twilio Latinx group, because for me, again, it was fulfilling that need to to identify as a Latinx um, or a Latina, as well as drive others to feel like they belong. And so I think corporates that are listening or people who aren't a part of it, and there is a group, like definitely join it, just see what there is, like speak to different people in different roles. Networking is a must to grow your career. Like networking has helped me get to where I am along with like the stuff that I've done. And so it's important. And if there are no groups at your company, Figure out how you can start one, right? And if you're passionate enough about being who you are and allowing others to also feel that identity and feel like they belong, like starting that group will probably do so much good more than you know. Um, and I'm going to refer you to someone who I think started the group themselves at Hilti. I think she would be a great person for you to speak with. And I think finally, um, just reach out to people on LinkedIn if you see, like you did to me, right? Like you saw my post and you just like, you went on. I think, be a LinkedIn stalker. <laughs> yeah, be a LinkedIn stalker. Look up things because that's how we're going to grow. And for people who are maybe still in college and looking to get into corporate, like internships, do the research on, do they have, are there schools that do exchange programs? Are there internships? Are there certain corporations that have internship programs? Twilio has an internship program. And so, you know, and if you don't like it after you do it for six months, okay, you figured out what you don't like. Like, that's something I wish someone would have told me too. Like, you're not going to know what you want to do for the rest of your life right away. It takes time. Like, I thought I wanted to be like taking courses for three, four years. Yeah. <laughs> then you figure yeah. out your life. <laughs> exactly. You can't. And so I, I think that's something I wish people would have told me. And I'm like, I'm really open about it. like, test it out. We're no longer in the age where you need to be at Oracle for 20 years to like, prove yourself you know like of course I'm not saying job hop every six months but it's okay to be at a place for a year and if you are not fulfilled and you're not happy and and you don't feel like you're excelling your career like you deserve there, there's so much out there so just yeah go for it thank you you just dropped yeah. so many things right now um, <laughs> and that's perfect that's awesome thank you for sharing thank you for mm -hmm. being here thank you for Thank you for having your me. voice, using your yeah. voice and, and owning yeah. your story uh, because that brought us together and, mm -hmm. and that, that's how we grow as well ourselves. Um, so my final question, my foodie question, <laughs> yeah. if you could share a dish or a fruit or a favorite snack with your coworkers from your own mm. country, what will it be and why? Why did you make that choice? 
I would have to say pozole. So pozole is um, a type of soup. And please, people listening, remember, I grew up in Wisconsin. So like, I'm explaining this from my point of view, right? But pozole is a soup that uses, um, it's not chickpeas, but there's another type of like kernel that's also not corn. I can, and I, the name is escaping right now, but it's a soup made with that. And the way we make it, or at least my family makes it in, in Tezuatlan, is that they make it first and it's end up with like a, a green or clear soup and just those like little, oh, why? My, it's maize, it's not corn. Anyway, so it's like that. And then you, you get served mole on the side, which is like a sauce and usually spicy and it takes a little bit to make pork and cabbage and like you put in how much ever like spicy sauce you want the pork and it's just it's the greatest thing and every I would say every family every town every state makes pozole their own way but like the way my family makes it is like to die for and so if I could my grandma was still around or if my aunts were here from Mexico like I would have them make it and share it with anybody and everybody who would come taste it it's it's amazing oh, that's awesome. that makes me hungry yeah. right which I know now I'm like oh my god <laughs> I really want so it's a good place to end it's like yeah. oh I had breakfast yes I did yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for having me this has been a, something I'm really I mean I have my own podcast and so I, I'm hoping you know you can come to mind one day but this is our voices are so much stronger than I think we know and especially as women I don't think we've had the opportunity to share them as much as we do now and like just share it we got to use our voice What's your podcast called? And uh, all of these will be added on the show notes. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Mom, Mama Melly, the manager. Mama Melly? The manager, yeah. The manager, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Details will be added on the show notes, and I can't wait to listen to it, and I can't wait to have a conversation with you on there as well. So Thank, thank you. you <laughs> Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo, for these important conversations about the global world of work. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share our weekly episodes with your communities and co-workers. For more resources and upcoming events, visit our website, www.thrivinginintersectionality.com and join our LinkedIn group, Thriving in Intersectionality. Additional links and resources are listed in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.